Welcome to a very solemn and serious episode of She Said, She Said. Typically when Jude and I join you each month, we have fun and happy Beatles topics to discuss, ranging from the White Album to the merits of help versus a hard day's night. But we've had some phenomenal guests over the last three years, from Ken Mansfield to Rogue Best to our distinguished guest this evening. And we've had quite a few laughs together and many, many fond smiles along the way. But tonight we want to discuss a topic that brings on a vastly different tone. We want to address the coronavirus or COVID-19 disease and virus in America. We're going to be bringing you the story of what's going on in three of America's hot spots in New York City and New Jersey, one of the nation's epicenters, also in Caddo Parish, Louisiana, another one of the virus's largest areas of destruction, and from the heartland of our country, Indiana where the devastation is taking its toll on small businesses and our way of life. I am your co-host, Lena Stagg, the author of the Recipe Records series of rock and roll cookbooks, and I'm speaking to you tonight from Evansville, Indiana, where in the last four weeks, life has completely changed. My husband and I own a small business here. I have friends who own gift shops and dance studios and pizza establishments. My daughter was, before all of this happened, a senior at Indiana University and about to set off on a spring break cruise and then fly to Europe for a graduation trip and begin her dream job in <clears throat> Southern California. So, of course, all of this has changed and completely altered, and taken a new course. And we want to talk about that. But with me is my true blue, dearest, best friend, and faithful sidekick, Jude Sutherland Kessler. Excuse me. Jude, are you there? I'm here. Hey, Lena, and hello, everyone. I am Jude Sutherland Kessler, the author of the John Lennon series of narrative biographies on the life of of John, of course, and if you talk about John, you naturally talk about his mates, the Beatles. And I'm speaking to you tonight from Shreveport, Louisiana, where I moved a mere 26 days ago. It seems like it was 26 years ago, to be quite <laughs> honest. I never dreamed that when I moved here that our city, and Louisiana has parishes instead of counties, but our parish, Caddo Parish, would become the state's hotspot for COVID-19. Last Friday, we equaled uh, the number of deaths in New Orleans. No one knows why. They link a lot of the stuff that's going on in New Orleans to exposure during Mardi Gras, but no one understands why it is so rampant in Caddo Parish. It has literally changed every aspect of our lives in really dramatic ways. But, um, you know, even the serious situation in Louisiana does not begin to even hold a candle to what is going on in the New York metropolitan area where our very special guest this evening resides. He is no doubt a favorite on our show and ordinarily when the three of us are together we're laughing and we're smiling ear to ear. We always love having our dear friend from the Fest for Beatles fans 
writer for Beetle Fan Magazine, and one of the co-hosts of the great Wednesday night program on the Beatles channel on Sirius XM, the Fab Forum. He is a dear friend who is always full of fun and joy, but tonight we've asked him to join us to share with you what life is like in New York these days and in the, in the outlying areas around New York City. We are very, very honored to have our dear friend, Mr. Tom Frangione, here to speak with you from the heart. So, Tom, welcome back to She Said, She Said. Thank you so much, Jude and Lena. It's, uh, it's great to be talking with you guys. Um, I'm, I know you, like me, like so many other people, are quarantined, and we're, we're trying to all stay connected through technology and, and otherwise. And the most important way we can stay connected is uh, by thinking good thoughts for each other. And I hope you and your families and everyone listening tonight are well, being safe, and thinking those good thoughts. Thank you so much, Tom. It's so great to have you. It's a real honor to have you on the show, especially the most handsome personality from Sirius XM. Uh, uh, let me tell you, that the, the group photo always looks better with the two of you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, you know, we've been talking through email about the fact that you know, a lot of people, for a lot of people, people who are living, say, in Hawaii or maybe out in Utah or Kansas, places where this virus hasn't been as devastating, this all seems a little bit surreal. And I know what New Yorkers are facing because I've been talking with you, with Susan, with so many people, Mark and Carol, Lapidos, who are up there. But you gave me the best picture of what you're experiencing. And I, I want us to share that with the rest of America. Tell us what it's like as you go into work, what you've been going through, Tom, and really what it's like to live in the epicenter of all of this. Well, um, New York City, as many people will know from watching the news, uh, if you're not in the New York area, New York is on lockdown. So we're not going in and doing our live shows Wednesday night. The past few weeks we've been doing you know, either rerunning an already – put together best of like we do at year-end, and then we got a little bit creative. We said, well, let's do a collection of interviews tonight with country artists who have been on, and we might just play four of the country artists, and we, you know, can tap in through the technology and, you know, reorder it and just do some drop-ins and say, oh, and then here's when so-and-so came on the show and kind of glued together some, some shows to keep the show on the air but this week, we did something a little bit neat, which I'll talk to you guys about later. But to answer your question, it's not, on, it's not like anything I ever thought the world could look like up here. Um, without making such grim comparisons, it's, it reminds me only of a terrible event that happened about 19 years ago when America was attacked. Um, mm. And we could see that happen, and the visual of airplanes flying into buildings is one that anyone who saw it will obviously never forget. We don't have that this time. We can't see what the enemy is actually looking like. We can see what the enemy is doing. The news reports about hospitals on overflow and healthcare workers, you know, being taxed beyond the, the, the limits of, of normal human endurance is it's just exhausting 
to watch, I mean, you watch the news, there is no number two story, right? There is one story, and that's what, what it is. Now, the, the health care workers, uh, I should point out to folks, uh, the, the day gig up here is I'm an administrator for a rather large medical group right over the bridge from New York City in Bergen County, New Jersey. And to say that life has been upended in our practice, would, it doesn't begin to even to even scratch the surface of what things are like. Our doctors who can treat the symptoms that go with this terrible, terrible virus are redeployed. They're seeing people in hospitals. Our doctors who can't treat things like this, let's say, I don't know, maybe they're an orthopedist or something, um, they're not able to do their work because all the operating rooms are being turned into uh, you know, emergency rooms and exam areas uh, every conceivable square foot of of any hospital uh, is being turned into into exam space and treatment space, including cafeterias and and lunch rooms and 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 administrative offices and everything. It's it's unlike anything we've ever seen. And the bizarre part of this for me, really, really kind of. I don't know, it takes me back a lot of years to when I was a kid and we'd go to school and they'd show you these, what we would now call propaganda films, right? You, mm-hmm. Communism, this is what communism looks like. And they'd show you this grainy black and white movie and say, there they are in Russia, they're waiting in line for toilet paper, okay? <laughs> and here we are, 2020, in the most developed nation in the world, and what are we doing, okay? And, you know, those movies that they'd show us, Look at this. There was a disease. It was called polio. Can you imagine there was a disease that could kill people that we didn't have a a vaccine for? Can you imagine a world like that? And we all said, wow, good thing we don't live back then in the, you know, back in the old days like that. Who, Who could possibly live in a world like that? And what that has created up here is a, a very real and palpable fear. And I know a lot of people, again, to be clear, I'm not a clinician, but I work with a bunch of them, and I'm in that, that industry. And a lot of people, you know, will ask, hey, Tom, what, when do you think this is going to be over? And, you know, I'm not sure what to say, because I don't think this is going to be a kind of thing where you say, it's over. There's not going to be some mm-hmm. big switch that goes and the lights go back on and all the businesses open up. There's going to be domino and fallout effect of this? I mean, when do you say it's going to be over? And someone said, well, maybe, maybe we draw an arbitrary line and say, when baseball comes back. Okay, all right, so let me, let me put this out there for people. Let's just assume, and I'll throw a dart at this, 4th of July, they say we're going to be playing baseball again. Okay? Do you think there's going to be 45,000 people showing up to sit, you know, elbow to elbow with each other for this? Not going to happen. It's going to be a different, different world on so many levels, on so many levels. And, you know, everyone knows the, the common household name now, Dr. Fauci. And, you know, his best guess, you know, based on the, the, the science and everything that goes with it is we may not have a vaccine for this for maybe a year, maybe 18 months. Um, and at that point, I don't think until you can say, gee, everybody's been immunized the way we're immunized for whatever, chicken pox or something like that, that you can say this one's behind us. And that, 
that has created a lot of fear. And a lot of things up here, the, those terrible reports you see on the news, at the outset of this, when it really started, when they started to pass the local laws where you couldn't have more than 10 people in the same uh, you know, public space and stuff like that, and they, they'd say something on the news like, and by the way, look at this, and people lined up at the store to, and, and they're running out of toilet paper. It creates this psychology of scarcity that people say, oh, my God, I better buy every roll of toilet paper I can buy. And they bought all the water they could buy. And, you know, last I looked, I didn't see any reports that said the water was going to stop coming out of our taps. But there's that psychology and that fear, and the fear is the most palpable, you know, thing that, 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 that gets to me every day is that people are just so uncertain about how and when we'll be able to say, we got this. Yeah. New York City, you know, look, I, I can't imagine, frankly, living anywhere than where I live now, which is within, a, you know, a half hour's ride in New York City. I love everything it has to offer. But for anyone who's ever seen the movie Vanilla Sky, which, by the way, Paul McCartney, our hero, wrote the theme song for the Oscar-nominated <laughs> theme song. Thank you very much. We do have to talk about the Beatles here tonight, too. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> there where Tom Cruise, the movie's uh, lead character, is running down Broadway, and there's not a single light bulb lit, there's not a single car, and there's not a single other person in the shot, and he's running straight down Broadway to Times Square, and it's meant to, to have that feel of, you know, some kind of Twilight Zone-ish, otherworldly, you know, you can't imagine a world like this feeling, and that's what New York City feels like right now um you know look new york is a tough place the you know the, the last 20 years we've had two good black eyes uh, obviously one that the whole world saw um when the planes hit the buildings and just about uh, eight years ago when we had hurricane sandy which wreaked a lot of havoc um but in those cases we fought we rebuilt and that's what that's what everyone is trying to do up here, but no one's allowed out of their house. So that, that fear is, is accompanied by a great sense of frustration about when can we start to go back and rebuild from this. And that, that feeling of being handcuffed and being literally confined really makes it that much more overwhelming. Do you wear, when you go into work, do you wear masks? Do you stay away from people? How are you handling going into work each day? Well, um, like most other places where we can, we have people working from home, so I'm only going into the office a couple days a week. But, yeah, the, the mask has to be worn uh, in our building, not like we, we're crawling with patients. The patients don't want to come out for well visits and follow-up visits and and non-essential things, but they actually just passed a, you know, they enacted laws up here just today. New York City, if you're going to be out and anywhere within six feet of anyone else, you must wear a mask. If you are going to ride the New York City transit system, you must wear a mask. You will not be allowed down there. And, again, the, the fear and the, the frustration I was talking about a moment ago when you get confusing things like today, by law, to go into the grocery store, you must have a mask. When this started way, way back, 
like three weeks ago or four weeks ago. They said, don't worry about the mask. It's not going to do anything. Okay? Yeah. And here we are in three weeks. We've gone 180 degrees from don't worry mm-hmm. about getting your hands on a mask. It doesn't do anything to now, even if you mm-hmm. want to go into a store, it's a requirement. Okay? Yeah. So you know, the confusion certainly doesn't, you know, instill any greater sense of confidence here. Yeah, I never understood from the beginning. It made no sense to me to say it's a disease that's transmitted in the air and yet don't wear a mask. I get that if you handle your mask wrong, if you touch the mask, if you don't put it on correctly, you get your hands on the inside of the mask and your hands are infected, that it can be dangerous. But it ne- that, never, that never seemed to ring true. Yeah. So as I say, our... our our practice, we have a, you know, a little mini uh, ambulatory surgery suite in there. So a lot of our staff are used to walking around with masks anyway. Uh, so we've been fortunate that we've not encountered the, some of the short supply, that, that scarcity psychology I spoke of a moment ago. We've had generous donations, both public and private, for what's called the PPE, the Personal Protective Equipment. We have had uh, a, a lot of people just kind of rising to the occasion, not just with equipment, but by providing meals and providing relief, uh, you know, for, for these uh, healthcare professionals who are on the front line, you know, who are doing double shifts every day. I mean, and it's, it's really, really a taxing, taxing thing. Tom, have... Have your family members and your coworkers managed to avoid contracting the virus? Yeah, knock wood. I'll give it. I don't know if you guys could hear that, but <laughs> right now, um, my family, which uh, I was telling you before, my mom and dad, um, who are 89 and 80 years old, uh, knock wood. We've had to really. They've been the hardest ones to talk into this. To say you have to stay in the house. And when you call and you you know you'd hear, oh, dad just ran to the store. It's just for a couple of things. But wait, whether he's getting two things or he's getting a hundred and two things, really doesn't matter. Uh, he's got to be home. You know, the grocery stores up here, like I imagine throughout the country, are doing delivery. Uh, they're doing curbside pickup. You can call in advance, things like that, to try and keep people safely distanced. Um, my brothers and my sister, Knockwood, are all safe and well. Um, a couple of people at work have been told they're kind of, um, you know, in, in a high-risk situation. We have, you know, one or two that are pregnant. And they said, you know, we don't know that this is good, bad, or doesn't impact pregnancy, but let's not, let's not take a chance and find out. Why don't you stay home? Um, we've let people do that to the extent that either they have childcare issues, because certainly all the schools are closed. But um, you know, I have heard some cases where people have told me, "Oh, you know, someone who used to work here, who retired years ago, um, fell victim, or my neighbor fell victim, or you know, my mother's friend fell victim." Um, mm. It's just so taxing that you hear this every day and. You know, was, I was watching the news before in New York. Uh, you guys have all heard the term flatten the curve, right? Yeah, right. Well, yeah. Ours, uh, New York State is flattening or leveling off 
but it's leveling off with about 700 people dying per day. And, and New Jersey's about half of that, about 300. And that's still way, way, way too high. Obviously, there's a long way to go for them. Certainly tragic. Oh, it's unbelievable. So now, you know, Lena, I know Indiana hasn't had as many cases, per se, as New York has, but you and I both have lost our moms in the last few years, and we're both still in the process of getting over that. So numbers don't equate with pain. Um, and numbers don't, you know, mean anything. One loss is enough. But it seems to me that what you and I have talked about is that the greatest damage in Indiana and in the Midwest has been economic. And you're right in the middle of that being a small business owner. So if you don't mind, just, you know, t tell people what it's like to, to work, to keep your business alive, how difficult it's been to navigate the paperwork, to take advantage of what the government's providing, and what it's been like to be in your position. Well, you know, my husband and I are part owners of a small engineering firm, and we create, I don't know what those scientists do, but they create all kinds of um, techniques for appliances. And they, um, you know, eight engineers um, that are adding a lot to our community and um, they all have families and, you know, they're, they're our family too. And so we, you know, don't want to lose um, our business and have, you know, upheaval in that. We lost, I don't know, maybe the second week of, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the pollen is off the charts in Indiana and it's really affecting me. The, um, about the second week of the crisis when things really started to turn, uh, we lost half of our business. Half of our customers uh, said that they're putting projects on hold and uh, then a couple of weeks later, the Congress voted to put in a um, grant for small businesses and trying to navigate that process has, been, has not been a fun um, project for me. I do all of the administrative work for the, the company, and so it was in my lap trying to navigate what bank was actually going to be able to, to do this. It was actually a real nightmare, and we did not get, um, I think my application had been in for about nine or ten days before I got approval. And um, I won't believe it until I, we actually <laughs> received something, but um, I, I'm a little bit, I don't trust the government to, to, uh, to do everything they say they're going to do. Um, but it has been a very dramatic situation for, for everyone. We've, we've had to make the decision of are we going to keep our office open or will everyone work from home? And that's really difficult for us because we have a lab and it's, it's very difficult for us to not be in the office and working. So 
we've we've closed the office to anyone from the outside. Uh, no one can come in, and uh, so it's 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 very difficult. I don't know the statistics of how people are being affected. Um, I was keeping up on it every day, but after a while, your your brain just can't handle it anymore. So. I don't know. I, I do know about two blocks from our office they set up an outdoor uh, COVID-19 testing facility with the National Guard, and um, I have yet to see a car go through. <laughs> so I, that makes me feel good that there isn't a rush um, on people that are, are being sick. Um, my husband and I are a blended family, and we have eight children, eight adult children. And every every one of those kids has been affected in some way. Some have been furloughed. Some have lost their job completely. Um, we have two two nurses in the family. They have um, been almost laid off because all of the elective surgeries have been canceled. And so there, there has not been, um, thankfully, there has not been a lot of COVID-19 patients. So it has affected us every day. It, you know, something else is affected. But thankfully, we do not, um, are not suffering from the virus. And everyone we talk to and everyone that um, we communicate with, we encourage everyone to follow the, the practices and to, you know, be smart about it. And so we are trying to, to do that as well as um, keep up on everything that will keep our business going. So, you know, our country was built on uh, strong, strong people building businesses and figuring out a way to make it work. And so we're trying to do that as well. And it's taking I did. Sometimes, though, when you are quarantined with your family, um, <laughs> it's a it's a welcome uh, to it's a it's a welcome feeling to go to the office. <laughs> So, <laughs> um, hopefully, no one in my house will listen to this. But, but you know, I it was a bright spot of my day. <laughs> no. um, but, but yeah, I I I went in every day. We were getting a different form to fill out, a different um, computation that they wanted, and and every day the um, SBA had some new thing, that new twist that they were putting on it, and um, I wanted to stab some people, <laughs> to be quite honest. I, I hear I what you're saying. That way. The SBA um, rules, I mean, the, when they announced the package, obviously everyone was very excited, but 880 pages later, uh, uh, yeah. and regs, um, I guess 880 pages wasn't enough within – Five days, they issued 37 pages of technical corrections, and it was very, very difficult. I know small businesses, um, medium-sized businesses, anyone who's applying for this relief, 
um, has been very frustrated by the calculations of how much you could borrow, but then the what's called the, the next phase is how you have to support and document what the money went for and how you kept people mm-hmm. on the payroll and how much of that would be forgiven as opposed to needing to be repaid back. So you mm-hmm. know, there's been a lot of stress around that, certainly. I know uh, for our medical group and, uh, and a lot of other doctor groups up here, and I'm sure, you know, businesses of all kinds, whether they're healthcare or, or otherwise, are facing that same frustration. We were in a fortunate position. Um, you know, we, we got our applications in. There are three different offices, and we got them all approved. And the, the best we hear is that from the date of approval to the date they have to make the distribution to you is 10 days. So hopefully by the middle of next week this will start turning into something we can put in our bank accounts up here. Right. Well, you know, it, it's, it, 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 the trickle down is astounding because, you know, if, if, if we can't pay our employees, then those employees can't pay their mortgage. They can't pay their city taxes. The city taxes pay the policemen. The city taxes, you know, it, the, the trickle down is, is enormous. And it's, it's just vital. And, it, and it's really terrifying to see how short of a leash that everybody is on and rightfully so. I mean, um, you just don't plan for devastation like like this economy has has experienced. Yeah, and you know, as I was saying before, it'll be hard to gauge when we say, how long will this last? When will it be over? And I tell people, mm. look, I'm not a scientist, but this is what I do know. The CARES Act, as it's called, or the Paycheck Protection Act that these monies are being made under, is designed to last eight weeks. I can do that math mm-hmm. in my head. This thing mm-hmm. kicked off in the beginning of April, and if it's designed to last eight weeks, that's going to take us just past Memorial Day. The, the yeah. big question, yep. the big fear is, what happens after that? Will we, will we be in a place where businesses can open, where the, the barber shop can open, where the pizzeria can open, where the local restaurant or diner can open, and you know, eight weeks. I'd hate to think they have to go back to the to the table and fight over another three hundred and fifty mm-hmm. billion with a B dollars. But right. the eight weeks tells me, you know, whether whether you trust the government, don't trust the government, whatever. You know, they tell us some things. You know, they don't tell us others. But if they designed a package for eight weeks, somewhere in the back of my head, it tells me they're thinking this thing could be ready to at least start opening the doors on businesses again uh, probably sometime after Memorial Day, uh, early June. But then, you know, just as, just as soon as I convince myself that that is a lucid uh, <laughs> assumption, we see here in New York Broadway. And can you imagine how many people not just the, you know, the people on the stage, but the musicians, the stagehands, mm-hmm. the carpenters, the ticket takers, the lighting people, and everybody else. Broadway's been dark for a month, and mm-hmm. they've announced that it will be dark till at least June 7th. Okay? Wow. That's another, you know, almost two months from right now. So they'll, they'll have lost a quarter of their annual, uh, their annual revenue and annual season. That's, that's, that's a big fight. 
It, you know, it's just, it, it's something we could never, never have guessed. After 9-11, I was living about 40 miles out of the city, and the pilot of the second plane lived on the street next to mine. And the things that happened in our area, in Bucks County, they never anticipated when they hit the Twin Towers. They never guessed that the oldest restaurant in Philadelphia would go out of business because nobody, everybody was afraid to leave their homes. They were afraid to go out to eat or to go to movies or to go to anything. They wouldn't gather in groups. And the implications, the things that I saw change 40 miles out of New York City were so broad sweeping. And that's what's happening here, things that we never never, never dreamed of. I mean, Lena, I know that your daughter is living with you right now, and she was in her happy senior year of college. Tell us a little bit about how she's handling this and what it's like for her. Well, it's been very dramatic. <laughs> um, of course, I'm delighted that she's home because she was um, set to – uh, began her career after graduation on June the 4th in Los Angeles. And now that's put on hold. It's, it hasn't been taken away, but it's just on hold. And every day she's, she has tears because she hasn't heard. And so, um, of course, you know, I've been delighted to have her at home. I've called it Corona Mania because I felt like we were like the Beatles when – Beatlemania was happening and they had to be holed up in one room and they could only play Monopoly and, you know, um, we all, we all have, uh, can envision all of those photos that we've seen of the, the lads whenever they, they couldn't go out. And so that's what it's been like here. And, um, I, you know, she's converted my porch into a yoga studio <laughs> and she has um, filled up the refrigerator with um, you know frozen avocado and flaxseed and all kinds of different things that I don't buy <laughs> and so it's it's been uh, quite an adjustment but it, it's been it's been wonderful to to have her here but she um, she has a lot of anxiety and there's a lot of, you know, at first she didn't know, she was extremely alarmed by the germ factor and um, very, very unnerved by it all. And, and that made me really feel sympathy for parents that have young kids that are, you know, very anxious about things already and they don't understand what's going on. And so there's just a lot of emotion that, that goes with having, um, having your child at home. And plus, you know, she's worked really hard all through high school and all through college, and she planned her last semester so that, you know, she only had a few classes and, she had Fridays off so they could go to the lake every Friday. <laughs> um, you know, now she can't uh, walk through the line for graduation. And they, um, 
you know, she she did not go on the cruise and and she cannot go to Spain and so it's been it's been been very traumatic. I mean, we're we're very blessed to be in the situation that we are in because so many do not have this, but um you know, we're we're trying to laugh about it. She's you know, tries to make jokes about she didn't think she'd be living in her mom's basement um, <laughs> and taking online classes. <laughs> so, um, it, it, you know, she's trying to keep a sense of humor about it. But um, it, it, it's been rough. And um, I know it's rough for, for your kids, too. I know your, your um, son and his family are um, struggling to... Um, yeah keep the boys educated and, you know, not let, let them lose any, any, you know, continuity of their education. And on top of that, because Louisiana is such a hotbed of the virus and Caddo Parish in particular, we are not permitted to go into the state of Texas. We're on lockdown, but if we're caught trying to cross into Texas, there are police at 27 entrances into the state where my son and daughter and grandchildren live mm-hmm. and where my sister lives. If you're caught trying to cross the border into Texas, it's a $1,000 fine. So wow. I can't, yeah, until this is all over, I can't see my grandkids. I can't see my children. I can't visit with my sister and my nephew and my brother-in-law. It, we, it's illegal to cross into Texas. They don't want our disease. And um, so it's scary. I have both lupus and a rare autoimmune disease called mucosal lichen planus. So I'm in the target for getting the disease, um, as is my husband, because most of the people know that that, um, blood type A, male over 60, that's the number one target zone. So we are, we are staying away from people. We're both very athletic. We both run um, over three miles every other day, and we work out on the days that we don't run. And we're, we're healthy, but um, it's terrifying. I have a weird quirk in that I'm allergic to sulfites in all bottled water and all city water, all tap water, is cleaned with sulfur, with sulfites. So I can't have any water except for Aquafina and Smart Water, which is done by reverse osmosis. And it's very difficult to get Smart Water and Aquafina now. Similarly, groceries are not, there are no groceries here in Shreveport. Um, I put in an order with Walmart, was supposed to pick it up last Wednesday. They called me and said, you're going to have to wait. They're not going to be ready for 24 hours. Then they called me and said, no, we still don't have any groceries, 24 more hours. And then they said, we're so sorry, we don't have anything on the shelves and canceled my order. I went to Kroger Sunday night at 9 for my appointed. You have to go online and shop and you get a time slot. It's usually seven days. And I went to get my 30 items and they had five of them, five. So there, there are no groceries. The shelves are empty. I've learned, uh, I've been using my recipe records cookbook, and I've been making, she said, banana bread from scratch. I've been get, getting whatever I can get and turning it into meals. 
We have gone from, Rand would eat, my husband would eat two pork chops at a meal. We now share a butterfly pork chop we, if we can get that. We certainly don't eat high-grade ground beef, the 96% fat-free. We get whatever we can get, and we're happy to get it. And um, we just, we really cut back on portions because there are no groceries. Um, it is a different world. Uh, when we go out to run or walk, I don't get near anyone. If I see someone coming across to the other side of the street because of the study that says that five feet, six feet is insufficient, that it can travel 27 feet. So I cross way to the other side of the street, I wear my mask, um, it's a different world, like, like you were saying, Tom, it's just a different world, but, you know, there I have seen, and I know you guys have seen some good things as well, so, you know, Tom, if you, what is the upside, what have you seen in New York, New Jersey, and it, that gives you hope that, that good is still out there? So. As I was saying before, at our local hospital, we've seen tremendous local response, and obviously there's been some very high-profile response, you know, Bill Gates donating more money than, you know, most of us will ever see in a lifetime, um, James Taylor with his local hospital up in Massachusetts, things like that. We, those are the headline ones. The unsung heroes. Uh, literally across the street from our local hospital, there's a diner that's been sending over food. There's um, people who are donating, you know, buying a, a factory allotment of the N95 masks, donating that. We've had restaurants respond. We've had all kinds of local businesses supporting the healthcare workers, which is great. Um, you're talking about the masks. One of the one of the really cool things I think I've I've seen happening is some of the ingenuity. You know, people are, you know, who are homebound and maybe their kids, too, who are home from school, are making masks, um, you, know, out of, you know, out of some breathable cloth and, you know, and some elastic and donating those. That's great. The technology, um, you know, this past weekend was Easter Sunday, and there was my 89-year-old dad and my 80-year-old mother learning how to use Zoom so that they could spend... <laughs> at least mm-hmm. some time with their children and grandchildren. So there's been some good um, ingenuity technology. And actually now, you know, if I can shift into, into Beetleland a bit, a lot of creativity. Um, you know, over at the Fab Forum, we get all kinds of emails, uh, you know, throughout the days and weeks and over the years. And we've gotten a lot from recent, um, in recent days from people who have said, hey, you know, I'm homebound and, you know, here's a game we made up in the family, you know, based on Beatles songs, or a puzzle, or, or, you know, this big mural that we made. See how many Beatles songs you can spot in this mural. We had mm. someone this week uh, say, you know, look, we keep hearing 20 seconds, wash your hands, 20 seconds, wash your hands. And the way I figure I can do that is I sing Her Majesty to myself. It's 21 Aww. seconds. You know, <laughs> so, you know, we've been getting all kinds of little, you know, ways to help pass the time. And, in fact, the Beatles themselves today announced on their website they've set up a new worldwide coloring, um, I guess, competition or collection hmm. where they've got all kinds of scenes from the Yellow Submarine and are inviting people to paint them however they want. 
and yeah. submit them, and they'll post them on the website. So that's kind of cool. Uh, the big yeah. news, big news, Beatle-wise, uh, in terms of all this, Saturday night, Paul McCartney will be taking place in that uh, that big, I don't know if you call it a telethon, but it's a big uh, worldwide event called One World Together at Home, and that's going to be on all three major networks here as well as all the streaming sites. So uh, you'll be able to see Paul and a whole bunch of other artists. That's this Saturday, 8 o'clock Eastern. So um, that, that should be fun. And, you know, it got us to talking the other night actually on the forum about uh, you know, how the Beatles, uh, together and apart, were always there to answer the call when people needed them. We've had right. um, the, the Inner Light Challenge uh, put up through mm-hmm. George's Camp through the Material World Foundation where they took a very pensive song with very mm-hmm. pensive lyrics, the inner light, without going out of your door. You can all know all things on earth, things like that. And I've asked people to submit either their own version, their own reading, their own drawing, interpreting the lyrics. So it's been, you know, kind of encouraging all that creativity. Um, out in social media land, we had, uh, obviously we had to postpone the Fest for Beatle fans, which was scheduled at the end of March. And we all miss seeing each other at that. We always call it it's like our Beatles Thanksgiving, where we get to see everybody mm-hmm. again. Yeah. Um, but the ingenuity there was, well, let's do it virtually where we can. And a lot of bands and artists donated their time to do sets online that people could enjoy. We had interviews with some of the guests, and that was all posted in real time to let people kind of feel they were doing something you know, on the fly and creative and and in real time. And that was a great, great deal of fun. Um, Over at Sirius, I was talking before that we had been doing some clip shows the last few weeks. They've sent us each basically a little mini home studio. And this week we pre-recorded a new show, which goes out uh, actually just in a couple hours from now. So, and that'll be on the app. And speaking of the app, you know, this this was something, you know, we've seen a lot of, big companies do. They've responded to this. So, for example, I got a, a, an email today from my car insurer that they're going to give me a 20% rebate on my policy. You know why? Because people aren't driving as much anymore, and we're trying to make life easier for them. Hey, that's great. Over at, over at Sirius, um, literally they said, well, because people aren't spending time in their cars anymore, if you have a an automobile subscription, they're giving it to you free on the, on the app so you can listen to it at home. So, you know, the, the help has been coming from all corners, big, small, and everybody in between. Here in New Jersey, one of the big ones, obviously, you know, when you tell people you're from New Jersey, they ask if you know Bruce Springsteen. That's how much he identifies with us. <laughs> we'll be headlining a benefit actually a week from tonight on the 22nd which will be broadcast around here, and I'm sure um, mm-hmm. it will be carried. I think it's going to be on the ABC network, but it will also be on his channel, another shameless plug for the Bruce Springsteen E Street radio channel on Sirius XM. So we've seen right. a lot of goodness coming out of this. We've seen a lot of people checking on their neighbors, which is good. It's brought out the best in a lot of people, and I think, think that's the thing I want most when this thing, here come the flying air quotes, when this thing is over, it's the thing I want to outlast yeah. everything, is how much people have been helping each other and aren't afraid to ask. 
Yeah, I just got a call today from Jim Birkenstad, our good friend who wrote The Beatle Who Vanished about Jimmy Nickel and his time with the Beatles in 1964. And he said, Jude, I'm concerned about you not being able to get food. And if you can't get food, you need to let me know because I'm going to go back into my former personality as the Birkinator and you'll be getting food. <laughs> <laughs> so. And I heard from Ivor Davis in California who was calling because he had heard mm -hmm. what was going on in Caddo Parish. Everybody um, is reaching out and, and helping, you know, it's, it's a, every, the good is coming out. Now, Lena, how about in Indiana? What do you see in there? Well, I, I see a lot of that too. Everybody, um, everyone is kind of shedding the, you know, the, the hustle and bustle and being annoyed at things and people are a lot more patient it feels like um, I have I, I um, we went and delivered some Easter baskets we didn't get to see the grandchildren but we delivered them and um, on the the trip winding trip around I noticed the windows of a lot of houses were full of teddy bears and other stuffed animals I guess that's a thing is uh, you can drive around and um, see the teddy bears it's like a, a teddy bear um, game that kids you know they can go for a drive in their car and and try and spot the stuffed animals but I, I did find one joker that had the um, the leg lamp from a Christmas story in his window <laughs> so that that gave me a chuckle but I have, um, I have gotten a lot of um, humor, and it's really lifted my spirits to watch my daughter's TikTok. <laughs> the, um, there are a lot of super crazy, um, talented people doing stuff on TikTok, and it, it still baffles me how it all works, but um, that has been one thing that has uh, brought me a lot of joy and one one night um, one one week we had a, a Dutch Blitz tournament and Dutch Blitz is a really nerdy card game and um, we uh, my, my daughter and I played every night and the loser of the tournament had to go to the grocery store <laughs> <laughs> so so we're, we're trying to keep keep uh, a little sense of humor about things but but there definitely has been um everybody is is um really you know you can't go go near anyone but 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 everyone you can you can tell you know the neighbors are waving more and and so it's um it, it's changed things you know people were like that a lot after 9-11 and um then life got back to normal and we forgot about it and we started buckling down and really focusing on ourselves and it kind of got a little bit away from it and uh, so it's been refreshing to to um, you know to connect again afar yeah. <laughs> to people definitely I've seen families walking together I've never seen families whole families walking together but I see it a lot now. And the other day I was really upset, went for a walk, and it was actually, I was upset because of the situation Lena's been going through. And I was 
a little bit teary-eyed and praying, and people probably thought I was a nutcase crying as I'm walking, but I'm out there, and all of a sudden I see these two teenagers come walking toward me. They've sprayed their hair green. They've each got an inner tube around their bellies. They've swimming <laughs> on their arms, and they're carrying a poster that says, We're on spring break, and it just made me laugh. Yeah, it was the it was something I needed to really lift my spirit. And there's this one street not far from here that the entire street has decided that they and their kids would make a poster to go in the front yard. So as you walk or run down that street, you see we're all in this together. And the next house says we can make it, and you're stronger than this. So every single house is posted a sign, and it is just a great thing. We've got one restaurant here that has decided that they are, their mission is to help people find things that they can't get. So they've been helping me find Aquafina and Smart Water. And the other day, I couldn't get um, coffee filters. And we had about six or seven left. I thought, well, okay, we've got about a week and we won't be able to have coffee. And they gave me some of their coffee filters that they had bought for their restaurant from there. Mm-hmm. So... Um, People are just doing good things. I have a good friend named Sherry Betts, who is a, a physical therapist. She has her doctorate. She owns a company called Thera Pilates. She's doing on Tuesdays and Thursdays at noon Central Time, she's teaching Zoom uh, classes, workout classes, like a, a body rock kind of class. And she's opening it to anyone in the country that wants to take part. And people are participating from... New York and from Wisconsin and from California. So, you know, we're finding ways to to make this happen. Um, Tom, any last thoughts you wanted to share? Well, um, just wanted to talk about, you know, how you know the Beatles have kept us all kind of connected through this. And, you know, they've, they've got a long, 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 pardon that pun, um, <laughs> history of you know, rising to the occasion, not just to raise money, but to raise awareness and to provide healing. Um, you know, we, we, we could be, it's a whole nother she said, she said, which I'd be glad to do, by the way. Uh, <laughs> uh, benefit causes, I mean, whether it's animal welfare through PETA or children's causes like the Prince's Trust or the One to One Show, Hunger, you know, Live Aid, Bangladesh, the, the list goes on and on. But uh, once again, they are, they are there as kind of a salve for us, not just, you know, raising money for the relief effort, um, you know, and making people aware of what's going on, but also to kind of give us a bit of comfort and a bit of escape when it's needed the most. So we, we thank them again as always. Absolutely. Lena, anything you want to leave our Beatles buddies with tonight? Well, a couple of things. Um, David Bedford, our great buddy over in Liverpool, who is the author of numerous Beatles books, is um, has started a new website called BeatlesBookstore.com, and you can go there to. It's it's in the early stages, but you can go there and and look at all the Beatles books that are going to be for sale. He is hoping to, um, you know, have a lot of um, uh, Beatles books for sale there. Jude's will be there. My my book will be there. So uh, you can check that out. And I posted a blog today for the first time in months, 
And I don't know where it came from. It's all kind of weird. But uh, if you want to check it out, it's called The Fixer. And I mention uh, the Beatles song, Fixing a Hole, in uh, my blog. And you can find that at rockblocks, and the number three, dot blogspot.com. Or if you're on my Facebook page, it's, there's a link for it there. Which is Lana Stag Author, your Facebook page? Yes. Well, for me, a very short poem from someone else from the 1960s, besides the Beatles, Robert Frost, one of my very favorites. Um, He wrote a very short poem about something that happened to him. He was obviously having a bad day. It was in the darkest part of winter, and he was depressed, and he was out strolling, and he happened to see this little bird on a snowy branch. And what the bird did was so little and so insignificant, but it made him smile, and it just made his heart sore. And I've always remembered this poem, and it goes like this. The way a bird shook down on me, the dust of snow from a hemlock tree has given my heart a change of mood and saved a part of a day I had rued. I love that message. And so from from Tom and Lena and me, be that little bird. Change someone's day. Just do something to lighten someone's load. It doesn't have to be something big. It can be just as insignificant as brushing a little snow down on them. Just do one small thing tonight or tomorrow or in the week to come to make someone smile. You can be the one who brings light in the shadows. From Tom Frangione at SiriusXM Radio, from Lena at Recipe Records, and from me, Shine On.